And now for the scripture reading, it's from Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and if you're just joining us this morning, welcome, and we've been in a series in Romans uh, for some time. We're in Romans 8, verses 12 through 17 this morning. Last week, uh, we saw the good news. That's in verse 1 of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That good news helps us with the fact that we're still very much in a struggle against sin in this life, and that struggle will continue all the way until we go to be in the next life. Uh, We have victory over sin and death, but we haven't experienced that full victory, so we need instructions on how to live now in the in-between, and that's what the subject of Romans 8 is, and I have more good news for you uh, this morning, and it's from verses 12 through 17, and you will see three blessings that come to us as a result of our, uh, the fact that we are no longer condemned. You'll see three uh, blessings here. So let's look together, Romans 8, beginning in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided, we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Let's pray together. O Lord, lead us and guide us by Your Spirit in all truth, that as we pay attention to Your Word, that you would apply it to our hearts, that we might continue to become the kind of people that give you glory and the kind of community that glorifies you and proclaims Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. We are a country where citizens have legal rights. That is one thing that I think makes our country great. Rights are a big deal because we just witnessed the panic to get out of a country where those rights are going away. So rights are important. The fact that citizens have rights are very important. And this goes all the way back to our country's founding, of course, Amendment 1, part of the Bill of Rights, Uh, goes like this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. You look at what's happening in the world, whether it's Afghanistan, Myanmar, Singapore, China, all these places where they don't have that one 
right or that complex of rights which flows from Amendment 1 to the Constitution, you see it is a very different place to live, isn't it? Because we have these rights. So the protection and the privileges of those rights are vital to our existence as a country and as citizens. And yet, maybe we don't understand the rights and the privileges we have as God's children, which are rights and privileges which can never be taken away, can never be taken away. And we don't maybe know about these rights and these privileges, so we can't get excited about them. And these are the rights and privileges that we have as believers in Christ. Earlier in our worship service, you heard read John 1, John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. And we read uh, there, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is our right as the people of God to be children of the living God and to have all the blessings, rights, and privileges that flow from that. That is something to get excited about, just like we want the citizens of this country to be familiar with their rights and privileges as citizens, so we should be familiar with the rights and the privileges we have as a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ as Christians. So really, I'll speak about these rights we have as blessings. They are blessings that God has given us once we turn our life over to Him. And in fact, as a church community, we are a community that reflects the fact that we have been blessed in this way and given these rights. So there's a sermon outline there in your bulletin if you want to follow along. In the number one blessing that we'll see, and this comes from verses 12 through 13, is the blessing of the Spirit. So the blessing of the Spirit. <clears throat> now if you look at verse 11... We read this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's a conclusion that is drawn from the fact that we are indwelled by the spirit, and it is the spirit who has resurrected Christ. The tomb has been left empty, and if that spirit dwells in us, and we're told that the Spirit does dwell in us. That's in verse 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. That's the end of verse 9. So we understand that we have the Spirit and are blessed with the very presence of God. I mean, this is just incredible. When we come to Him, when our life is handed over to Him, He gives His Spirit to fulfill the fact that he is Emmanuel, God, with us. He gives us his spirit, and we are blessed by that. So we are blessed by the spirit. Now let's look in verse 12. This is a conclusion drawn from the fact that we are given the spirit. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. And the way we should understand this is that because we have been given the spirit, 
then we should live in a way that glorifies God. We are debtors, and by debtors, we are under the obligation to live a life that pleases God and gives Him glory. In other words, we cannot come to Christ and then do whatever we want, because if we have come to Christ, we can no longer live for ourselves. We are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Now, the flesh represents there all the earthly desires and the vestiges of our fallen nature that remain in us, that continue to influence. I've mentioned it before. Think of of our old nature like an oil stain on your driveway. You might power wash it, but you can still sort of see the shadow there. The flesh is used in two ways in the New Testament. First way is simply this right here, your skin. So when we read flesh, Jesus took on flesh, what our understanding is there, he is incarnate. He truly became a man. So that's one utilization of the word flesh there in the New Testament. But the other use and the usage here in Romans 8 is to refer to our old nature, our old desires, our old way, and the influence of it that leads us to sin and away from Christ. So you can see here in verse 12, because we are indwelt with the Spirit, because of all those blessings that are drawn from the fact that we're under no condemnation any longer, Romans 8.1, that we are debtors not to the flesh, not to our old way, to live according to that old way. And the Spirit empowers us to do this. And so this is a calling to aggressively go after our sin and the desires which lead us away from God. So think of it for a moment. Sin is not just the bad things that we do. Sin also includes the attitudes, the inner thought life that we have, and even the desires that we have that are not godly that lead to sin. So even desires need to be sanctified and changed. Uh, You can kind of think of it this way. When was the last time you cleaned from behind your fridge? Or when was the last time you cleaned behind your washer and dryer? I mean, maybe the fridge you can just roll out and clean behind it. But your washer and dryer, usually you only clean those when you're moving, right? (laughs) Some of you are thinking, oh, I've been here a while. I need to uh, uh, move that out. But when you move those things, it uncovers all that hidden dirt that you didn't see before. And sometimes it can be quite embarrassing, you know, when you go to move and the movers move that and you're like, that was under there? I mean, no telling what you'll find. But this is a picture really of the sanctification work that Jesus does through the Spirit in and with God's Word to remove, to uncover things in our life that the sanctification, and and that's a big word for that process whereby we're more and more made after the image of God, this sanctification, this change to our heart and character 
extends even to moving the fridge of our life, moving the washer and dryer and cleaning there. And that goes all the way to what we desire, not just our bad attitude, not just our inner thought life, but our desires. What we want out of life is not uh, off limits to the sanctifying power of Jesus Christ. Now, why I bring this up uh, to you today is there's a current theological debate happening um, outside of our denomination. Our denomination and our set of churches and Protestant theology is settled on this idea. And what it is is the, the debate is over whether a desire can be sin. Do you follow me? A desire, can a desire be a sin? Traditional Protestant theology, what I hold to, what I hope you hold to, would say yes. That even the desires of our heart are fallen. And therefore they need to, the sanctifying power of Jesus Christ, that our desires would align with what God wants for us. Now the technical term here is concupiscence. Concupiscence is the, the term, and you can kind of Google it and look it up, because in other settings, people would say concupiscence is not sin. Concupiscence is a complicated word, makes us all feel smart. To, to say illicit desire, that's illicit desire. So it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. When did Eve sin? We would, we would say most correctly that she sinned when she desired, when she looked at the fruit and saw that it was good to eat, prior to eating it. And this has everything to do with our cultural society, societal moment here. Because when you hear someone say, I was born this way, we would say, no, that is a sinful desire. Desires do not come... And, and think of desires as uh, impulses towards that which doesn't please God. They do not arise, they may arise unbidden, but they still must come under the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. And Christ wants to change that in someone's life. So if someone would tell us, I was born this way, we might understand theologically, yes, we were all born in sin, see Psalm 51, See Psalm 139, but that doesn't mean it can't change. Even our desires need to go onto the altar and be sacrificed to the Lord that they might look the way He wants them to look. Even our desires are offered up to God that He would change them, that once our desires align with what He wants in our life, He can then give us our desires because our desires are good. And so the sanctifying process extends all the way to moving the fridge of your life, so to speak, and cleaning behind it. Uh, look at verse 13. This is why this is important. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, what happens? You will die. If you think you can have desires that don't please God, and as long as you don't act on them, it is okay, that isn't the case. It's still, you're on the road to death here. Because the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, 
The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For if you live according to the flesh, Romans 8, 13, you will die. Here's the good news, though. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Living God's way is life-giving. And when we reject sin and when we reject the desires which lead us away from God, it may feel like death because we are not satisfying our cravings or our desires, but it is truly life-giving. His words are life for us. So we must, through this blessing of the Spirit, we are indebted to God to live for Him even in our desires and in our thought life. And by so doing, we will find life living this way. So that's the first blessing. And then blessing number two is the blessing of, an, of adoption. <clears throat> the blessing of adoption. Look at verse 14 here in Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And the idea here, and I know we live um, in an age where we want to make everything neuter and take gender out, and the idea here, sons of God, the sons in the ancient world were the ones who received the inheritance, so it wouldn't make any cultural sense for the Apostle Paul to write sons and daughters. And the particular translation I'm using, the English Standard Version, is true to the text. The word daughter, the Greek word daughter, doesn't exist in the text. So it's, it's not making an interpretation. When I say it includes daughters, sons and daughters of God, that's an interpretation. But you notice the text is faithfully rendered for what, what is actually in it. So you bring that with you to the interpretive process here. In the ancient world, the sons, they got the inheritance. The daughters didn't. And, and don't pick on me, I didn't make the rule. The daughters were supposed to go off and get married. So all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 15 here is the doctrine of adoption. And what this means is that a change has happened in our relationship with God. We go from being at enmity with God, God's enemies, we are sinners, through the work of Jesus Christ, in the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, we now become adopted forever into the family of God. We are the sons of God, and our relationship with Him has, in point of fact, changed. Now, this doctrine means that we were part of another family. That can kind of be offensive. We could say, okay, I'll accept that I'm adopted into the forever family because I was an orphan and I wanted to be adopted. But that's not the view here of the New Testament. 
You might remember John chapter 8, verses 43 and 44, Jesus talking with the super-religious Pharisees and scribes, very self-righteous in their work. And what does he say to them? You are of your father, the devil. So what, if we string these passages together, what we understand is we are actually part of another family. Another family that involved an identification. And what Christ has done is he has rescued us out of that family and brought us into the forever family And then given, you see why this is good news, given us the rights and the privileges of belonging in that new family. So we read in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, if you just need a a definition, anytime I need a definition of a theological word, I always go to our catechism. What is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have all the rights. We have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. You know, I I had a friend in seminary who he adopted several children of a different race than his family. And so when you see that family Christmas picture, you can tell who's adopted and who isn't, who are the biological children and who are the adopted children. And the beauty of adoption, I think this is a great picture of the gospel. They may look differently, but there is, they both belong. Whether the biological children or the adopted children, they belong legally. And the adopted children belong as if they never didn't belong. The adopted children belong as much as the biological children in a family that has some biological children and some that have been adopted in. And that's the beauty of adoption. And that's a communication of the gospel, isn't it? And some of you have adopted, some of you are adopted. And it's a beautiful picture of the gospel that at one time you were not in the family you're currently in. And something changed. And you came into this family with all the rights and the privileges of that family. And it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Now, what blessings? So adoption, and and you've got to think for a moment, okay, this doctrine of adoption, it's somewhat neglected. People didn't really reflect on it. There wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, in the church, sometimes the development of theology runs with heretical beliefs. So there wasn't that happening. So we really didn't get a definitive work on adoption until 2017. A man named David Gardner wrote Sons of the Sun. And it was a historical and theological exegetical treatment, full treatment, definitive treatment of this doctrine of adoption. So we didn't have that. And in fact, in our own confession, this is chapter 12, it's in your sermon outline here, chapter 12 of the Westminster Confession of Faith is the shortest chapter of the confession. There wasn't a lot of reflection. Uh, There also wasn't a lot of breakdown of the family, if you think about it, at that, uh, this was written in 1646. But I want to read this to you 
and the numbers here correspond to the verses because this is a list of 12 blessings that we have because we're adopted by God. So this is uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 12 of adoption. All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. Okay, so they have these rights. We have these rights. If you're a Christian, if you place your faith in Christ, if you understand you're not earning your way to heaven, but Christ has done that for you and you've received it by faith, listen to these 12 blessings that you have. Have his name put upon them. Receive the spirit of adoption. Have access to the throne of grace with boldness. Are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. Are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father. Yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. We have it good. We have it good if you've been adopted in Christ. Now, how do you apply this? You enjoy it. You enjoy it. You celebrate it. When you are lonely, you remember you have a family. When your earthly family offends you or you have problems in your earthly family, You can remember that you're part of a heavenly family and relate based on how God relates to you in that heavenly family. We can show grace in the face of difficulty and we can show love in the face of hatred because we belong to a new and different family and there are new and different family rules, so to speak, and principles that we operate by in the family of God. We belong, and those 12 blessings are ours. And it's a great Bible study just to take each of these verses that are listed there in your sermon outline that correspond with the different blessings of adoption and to walk through those and to remember you are not alone. You are not alone, and you belong in this forever family. So I've shown you two blessings so far. We have the Spirit. We have adoption. And blessing number three is we have an inheritance. This is in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This inheritance that we have, this idea of being heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, this gets back to union with Christ, This gets back to the fact that the best part about an inheritance is you don't earn it. And my joke is, well, you don't know my family. I did earn it. No. Um, But the idea of inheritance is what becomes ours not by virtue of our labor, not by virtue of our work. And you see here in verse 17 this wonderful truth. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What Christ has earned for us belongs to us, comes to us. We have it. 
and it's an inheritance that cannot be taken away from us. And then look at this at the end of verse 17, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You sometimes prove you belong by a willingness to suffer, that we will hold on to that blessing instead of follow in the ways of the world, even if it means our suffering. That what we have with Christ in adoption is better than anything that this world has to offer. And to enjoy that and to suffer in a willingness to give up what the world values in order to authenticate that we belong to Christ as we give up things that we, uh, to gain that which we cannot lose. You might think for a moment, well, why does suffering hurt so bad? Well, we live in a fallen world, and we love our old way too much. We love our old way too much. And so finishing well in the Christian life does indeed count for everything that we together would be willing to suffer, knowing that what we have gained in the blessings that we have, the blessing of the Spirit, the blessing of adoption, and the blessing of this glorious inheritance that Christ has won for us, knowing that if we have those things, we can lose everything in this life. And we would still, and we will still, come out ahead. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are that you have blessed us so richly in Christ that we might know and enjoy these privileges that we belong. We pray that in thinking and living in light of them, you might cure our loneliness, that you might empower us to even see our desires, what we want out of life, sanctified, that it might agree with what you want to do in our life. And we pray that you would encourage us through the truth of adoption and the fact that we have this glorious inheritance and all the blessings that Christ has won for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.